We serve a great king, amen? amen? And if we serve a great king, that means he's over all, ruling and reigning. Nothing happens without his permission. Nothing happens without his notice. Nothing slips by him. He is our great king, and that's who we serve this morning. Is he your king? Is he ruling and reigning in your life? Are your emotions up and down, or are they just even because he's ruling, he's reigning? He sits on the throne of heaven, and he's in charge this morning. It doesn't matter who wins the next presidential election. It doesn't matter who wins against the Raiders or the 49ers today. Maybe it does, but when it comes to God ruling and reigning, he's over it all. He saw it before time began, and we can trust him. Take your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to go right back to where we left off last week. There's just too much good stuff. We just can't, can't leave this chapter 17 yet. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. It'll be up on the screen. We just want to remain standing as we go into the scripture. I believe our worship should flow right into the word. Our worship should flow right into the word. There shouldn't be a break. There should just be the natural progression that we flow right into the word. The Bible says this, beginning in verse number 20. So David rose early in the morning. I don't like this guy. He's getting up early in the morning. It's no fun. He left the sheep with the keeper. And he took the things and went as Jesse, Jesse as his father, had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. I love this. I love this. David is so bold. He's so brash. You see, the armies, they're facing each other. They're in a posture that at any moment they're about to go to war. And here's David, this teenager. He doesn't know better. He just walked right in between these two armies, right up to his brothers. Hey, guys, what's going on? Just oblivious that there's an army that at any moment they could just attack. And David's going to be right in the center. Sometimes we think of this passage like David ran into some tent somewhere. No, the Bible says they had set the army in array. Remember how they used to set up armies back then? They would line up one line here and then the opposing arm would line up over here, maybe a hundred yards in between. And then they would square off and stare at each other and make faces at each other until finally somebody gave that yell or the trumpet blew and then they would fight. David runs into the battle. And the Bible says, verse 23, then as he talked with them, There was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. It says, when they saw the men ran, they fled. They were there in battle lines. And all of a sudden, Goliath comes out and they run. They weren't going to stay in a battle line formation. They ran. It's amazing how the things of life, as soon as they face us, we run from them. We run. Fear gets the better of us. The Bible says in verse 25, So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? How could you miss him? He's nine feet tall. Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and give him his father's house, house exemption from taxes in Israel. Now, I think it's interesting is Saul's daughter couldn't have been that pretty because, I mean, no guys are stepping up up to this point to go and challenge him. I mean, that's not enough motivation for anybody. And all of a sudden, it's just one of those things where instead of, yes, we'll do it, nobody wants to. Verse 26, 
Verse 27, the Bible answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he spake to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to see in this passage the truth that will help transform and change our lives. I pray that you would do what I simply can't do. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have free rule and reign. I pray that this morning for those whose hearts are troubled, I pray for those who are discouraged, I pray that they would find encouragement in your word. I pray this morning as we study this passage together, that our hearts and minds would be stirred with the truth that it contains. Lord, your word says it's quick and it's powerful. And I pray that that power would work in our lives this morning. I pray that you bless our church. May we be stronger and better for your word. I pray that it would do a work. We love you, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We're in a new series entitled Chasing Change. A new series entitled Chasing Change. There's a change that we're chasing. We're all chasing some type of a change. Uh, We said last week that people are changing spouses, houses, and blouses. Everybody's changing something. It's constant. There's There's this drive to change. There's this need to change. And so we're looking at the right type of change. Last week we said let's let's bring out the king that's inside of the kid. Let's pull that out. But then also let's pull out the kid that's inside of the king. Well, this week we're coming right back to the same passage. And oftentimes growing up, it kind of seems like, you know, when you come to 1 Samuel 17, it's all about David and Goliath. And sometimes when we think that it's all about David and Goliath, we miss everything else that's in the passage. There's so much more in this passage to be seen, to be heard, to be studied. And so I don't want us to just look at a familiar passage of scripture and check our brain at the door and say, I've heard that. I know that. I don't need to get anything new. No, as you read this passage, I think God's going to speak to us in new and profound ways. So we're studying change. The reason we're enamored with change and the reason that if you look in like a Barnes and Nobles, the self-help book section is one of the largest sections. Why? Because we are enamored with change. We love to change. But the problem is, if we could change, we would change. That's the reality of it. Why do you think they keep coming out with a new diet book? I mean, somebody's always got a new diet book. There's always a new one coming out. There's always a new time management book. There's always a new book on marriage or relationships or parenting. Why is there so many? Because you and I, we look for change and we look for it in a book. We look for it in a program. We're looking everywhere for change, but yet we're not finding the change. We, we struggle with changing the real things. I mean, we can change our hairstyle. We can change our clothes, but it's hard to change the real root issues. And I think it all goes back to the fact that we live in a world that is broken. We tend to dream about what it would take to fix it. You say, what do you mean we dream about? Come on, you you and I, we do this. We start thinking about what would it change, what would it take to change my marriage? Let's just start there. And some of us think, you know what, it's going to take a new spouse. That's what it's going to take to really change my marriage. Or you're going to think, you know what, what's going to take to change my marriage is a bigger house. What it's going to take to change my marriage is if that person would just do the dishes more, if that person would pick up their laundry and actually, instead of leaving it by the laundry basket, pick it up and just put it right in. I mean, it's right there. It's just, just, just right in, just, just in. It's a simple task. Just pick it up and put it in the laundry basket. Maybe you're thinking that's what would change. 
Or you're thinking, you know what? If I just had a little bit more money, that would just solve a lot of my problems. How many think money solves the problems? Actually, it does. Money solves a lot of problems. Come on. How many of you, $100,000 right now, wouldn't solve some problems for you? It would solve a lot of problems for me. Matter of fact, it would solve a ton of problems for me, okay? It would solve 100,000 problems. That's really what it would solve. Here's the thing. Money does solve the problem. A new spouse will solve the problem. A new car will solve your problem. New clothes will solve your problem. Now, before you think I'm heretical and I've gone off the deep end, think about this. We come into church and we act real spiritual. Like, oh no, oh no, money would not. No, no, no. I I give all my money to feed the poor and clothe the homeless. I don't need money. It's okay. We know you're not that spiritual. It's okay. It's all right. You don't have to pretend. But here's the thing. Money will solve your problems, but it won't always solve your problems. It will solve your problem, but it won't always solve your problems. But here's what we do. When we allow money to solve our problems, we keep going back to money. And money no longer is a tool. It becomes an idol. You see, you get a new spouse and it does fix a problem. But then the spouse becomes not a a thing to help you become more like Christ. It just becomes something that, hey, having a new spouse after five years fixed the last problem. So let me just go back and try that again. And then you find that last marriage lasted five, the next one lasted three, the next one lasts one, and the next one, well, you're a Kardashian now. I mean, the last couple months. You see what I mean? We try these things, but they don't last. So we're looking for change, not just any change. We're looking for a lasting change, right? We want a change that really makes a difference because we've tried everything else. So we're looking for something that really works. So here's where we need to get to. We all have an ideal change. You see what I mean? I call it a preferred future. There's something you would like to change in your life, in your job, in your church, in your spouse. We have these ideal changes. We all have them, and that's okay. God gave us the gift of imagination. Imagination helps you to see a preferred future. If it wasn't for imagination, we wouldn't have the great inventions that we have now. So we do need it, but the problem is we daydream, we fantasize about what it would take to fix it. Come on, you work in a high-rise building and your boss gets onto you, all of a sudden you fantasize about throwing him out the high-rise building. You just, these thoughts come to your mind, okay? It's all right, we're not that spiritual. We can actually agree that this is these thoughts that we have. I'm glad we don't have a high-rise building at the church, otherwise Pastor West, maybe, you know, never mind, it's okay. But when we look at these things... We're looking for a change, but we all have this ideal change. Can we all agree we have an all ideal change that we'd want? You have an ideal candidate that you want in office. You have an ideal sports team you want to win the Super Bowl. You have an ideal house you would like to live in. You have an ideal job that you would like to have. We all have this ideal, but here's the question. Does my ideals match God's ideals? That's the question we have to ask. Is the ideals that I have of a preferred future, does it match God's ideals? Because we're all looking to change something, but the fact of the matter, the reason why we can't see the change that we want, because it doesn't match God's change. We're going to look at three characters in this passage. You're going to meet a character by the name of Eliab, and Eliab wanted an emotional change. Do you see it in verse number 28? His brother comes up to the battle lines and he's moved with, I would say, this is a preacher making some conjecture here, but I would say Eliab is jealous that David got chosen to be king and Eliab didn't. Why? Eliab's the oldest. Eliab was the best looking. Eliab looked 
kingly. David did not. So we can make some conjecture and assume that Eliab is a little bit jealous. He's a little bit irritated that here his brother's coming. And you can even see it when he says, hey, you left that lowly job you had with those few sheep. So we see here is Eliab and he just wants an emotional change. I don't feel good. I'm upset. I'm bothered that my little brother is here checking up on me. I don't like this situation. And we all have times where we would like to make an emotional change. We just want our emotions to feel better. So sometimes, because we can't change the emotional, what we'll do is we'll pick a new friend, we'll, we'll blast off an email, we'll blast off a text message, or we'll, uh, we'll, we'll drink too much, or we'll try some other substance. Why? Because we just want an emotional change. Whatever it takes, just an emotional change. So that's a lie. He just wants this emotional change. And then there's Saul. Saul wants an external change. You say, what do you mean? There's this guy, his name's Goliath in this passage. Saul just wants him gone. Just out of the way. Just whatever it takes, just get that guy out of the way. Now, Saul's not willing to do what it takes to get him out of the way. But he wants this problem dealt with. And some of us, that's where we're at. If I could just pay off my student debt. If I could just kind of wipe out these medical bills. If I could just get a raise. If I just could have a new car. You got this external, and it's a giant. If I could just take and cure this disease. If I could just get my teenager to straighten up. If I could just kind of get this to happen in my life. You got this external. But then you got a third character. His name is David. He's kind of what we would call the hero of the story. David is focused on an eternal change. You see, how do we know David's about the eternal? We, how do we know that he's about something much bigger than what we originally see in the text? It's because it goes on to what David says to Goliath when he finally ends up facing Goliath. The motivation for David to face Goliath is not that he's going to get to marry the king's daughter. It's not that he's going to get to be tax-free, which must have sounded pretty good in those day and age. It wasn't that he was going to be related to the king. It wasn't the honor, the wealth, or the glory. The things that motivated David, we're going to see it, and it's profound. Because here's a young man, a teenager, and you have to see what he says. I'm going to skip ahead, and I would love for you to follow me. Verse number 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and a shield, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day will the Lord deliver you into my hand. Sounds pretty good. He's like, you're going to, God's going to deliver you into my hand. But notice, notice this, not so that David could be famous and powerful and I will smite you and I'm going to take your head from you. This is a pretty bold teenager. I mean, I've heard of trash talking this, he just, this, this guy took it up a notch. Hey, I'm taking your head. Like today. And then he goes on and says, I will give your carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. It revealed his motive. David's whole motive for slaying Goliath is not on the rewards. It was that all the earth may know that God is ruling and reigning. He even uses the word Lord of hosts, which is Yahweh Sabaoth, which means God of angel armies. He's saying, that's who's with me. That's who's going to take care of this. So David is motivated. His ideal change is not just that the giant be gone. David's ideal change is not just so his brothers would treat him differently. 
David's ideal change is not just so that Saul would look at this guy and say, man, that's the, that's, he's God. I want him as my son-in-law. David's ideal change matched God's ideal change. You see, we were created to be salt and light. We were created to point back to our creator. That's our whole reason for our existence. That everywhere we go, people don't see us, but they see the Christ that's in us. That when we go through a difficult situation, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. That when they see us go through a good situation, they see it's about Jesus. So David said, my ideal change is that this army right here, the Israelite army, they don't trust God enough. They don't see how big and strong God is. So my ideal change is getting them to see what I see. And that is in alignment with what God wants. So we got to ask ourselves a question. Is the reason you haven't been seeing the change that you want to see, does it align with what God wants to see on this earth? Think, does the change you want to happen in your home align with the change God wants to happen in your home? Oh, I just want my husband there for dinner every night. Okay. Is that, is that in alignment with what God wants? I mean, if your husband is just abdicating his total role, which it seems today we've got an, an our church makes up the difference. Our church is not like this, but we see this a lot, where we see men abdicating their role of leadership. You see men abdicating their role of being a father. You see men abdicating their role of keeping a job. You, you see it across our country. Now, our church is different. We, we're different than that. I, I thank God for the men that are in our church. I'm excited that the young men coming up in our church get to see the older men. And I hate using that word old, but y'all, some of y'all is old. And it's okay because you're wise. You're smart. You've been through some things. And so I'm excited that we got some young men that can come alongside of you and learn from you how to keep a marriage together, how to raise children, how to stick through the tough times. I'm excited about that. I'm excited that we get to learn from that. And it's great. It's wonderful. So what we need to see here is to ask ourselves the change I want in my job. Is that in line with what God wants? Because we all want to change and we all spiritualize the change that we want. But at the deep core root We've got to ask ourselves the question, is my ideal change matching God's ideals? It needs to become an alignment. Ever driven a car out of alignment? You kind of bump it along everywhere, and then you look at the tires, you wear out the tires really fast? The same happens in your Christian life. You will find great frustration when you're seeing, my life isn't changing how I want it to change. Why? Because your life is not in alignment with Scripture. Oh, I can go get some money. I could go easily get that $100,000. I could start dealing drugs. I could rob a bank. But none of those are in alignment with how God would want me to earn the money. Some of you, you, you can come up with a solution to fix your problems. And we'll see characters who try to fix their problems. But God says, I can't bless the way you fixed it. I can't use that. So here, we're looking at this passage. And I want to ask ourselves this question. What is my cause? David said, is there not a cause? So what is my cause for change? What's that driving, motivating factor? What is my cause this morning? We all want something to change, but what's my cause? What's my motivator for that to change? And some of you have a great motivation, but is it not just a great motivation, not just a good motivation, but is it a God motivation? Is it motivated by God? Could you step back and say, Lord, try me and see if there's any wicked way in me and see that my motives are indeed pure. See, David had a purity of heart, which that purity led to God's power. The two go hand in hand. So when you try to divorce purity, you're not going to have the power. You need to have the pure heart to have the power that God wants you to have. And so David 
Here he is. He says it's all about eternity. You see, the details of your life only make sense when viewed from the perspective of eternity. You see, right now you're going through things that just, you, they just don't make sense. They just don't. But yet when you look back, you can connect the dots. You see, eternity helps us to connect these dots. Right now, we live in what I would just call just, just every day, every day. And it's hard to see, how is this all going to make sense? But God is saying, hey, in light of eternity, eternity puts everything into perspective. Also, eternity teaches us what is really important. Eternity teaches us what's really important, what really matters. I'm so excited about our missions conference. Sign up. Get involved. Come to it. You do not want to miss out. Why? Because that is going to last for eternity. Hey, what you all did last week is incredible. Incredible, church. I just want to go around and give everybody high fives. You know what? I I just need to. You guys did a great job last week. That was just awesome. 400 people were here. Great job. There were the children. The classes were full. It was fantastic. It was great. I just want to give it. You know what? I can't give everybody a high five. Turn to the person next to you and give them a high five. You just got to give somebody a high five next to you. Just high five them. You say, why? We had almost 400 people here. Eight people were saved. 38 first-time families were here. That's exciting. You say, oh, that's great. 38 families. Church, we have 200 families. We have 200 families. So on one Sunday, you added another almost 40 families. That's incredible. Let's put our hands together and thank God for all that he did. That's exciting. That's wonderful. Eight people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's eternal. That's eternal. It's worth all the frustration, all the loud noises, all the mess. It's worth all of that. We had over 80 kids running around here. That's fantastic. Those are the things we want to see. You say, well, it's messy and it's loud and it's uncomfortable and it got really hot in here because it was so full. Yes, but lives were changed and transformed. You see, there's a gap in what I want and what God's want and Jesus Christ fills it. Jesus Christ bridges the gap between the turmoil we're experiencing and the transformation we want to experience. It's only through Christ. And so we've got to think in our mind, what is eternal? It's why we invest into missions. It's why we invest into outreach. It's why we build a building, not just so we can have a beautiful building. We build a building so we can fill it with people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and meet him and have their life transformed by him. So we need to understand everything goes through the filter of eternity. Everything. There was a man in Australia. He grew up and he didn't have an education at all. He became a ward of the state at 11 years old. This man was something what you would call a troublemaker. He would stand as a lookout in front of his sister's brothels. This is the type of guy he was. He joined the army to fight in World War I. He was from Australia. He joined to fight. He was kicked out of the army and sent back to Australia. Thinking his life is over, he was in and out of trouble, became an alcoholic, just a mess of a man. One day he steps into a church, and in that church, the pastor gets up and preaches out of Isaiah 53, which is all about eternity. This man, his name is Arthur Stace. Arthur Stace today, if you were to do a Wikipedia search or an online search, is nicknamed Mr. Eternity. Because for the rest of his 35 years that he had on the earth, he would take a piece of chalk and walk up and down Sydney. And everywhere he walked in Sydney, he would write the word eternity everywhere. They said in 35 years, he wrote the word eternity over 500,000 
times at the 2000 World Olympic Games that were held in Sydney, Australia. They lit up the beautiful bridge. And what did they light it up with? One word, eternity. Did you know you and I were created for eternity? You and I are going to spend eternity somewhere. Everyone is. Everyone is. No matter what your background, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your preference, no matter who you are, you will spend eternity somewhere. And in 2000, the world was shown that word eternity. And it's a reminder for you and I that we don't live for tomorrow. We don't live for yesterday. We don't live for next week. We don't live for next month. We live for, say it church, eternity. Everything needs to be filtered through the word eternity. What are you and I living for? Oh, it's easy to get wrapped up in the day today, and I do it too, church. I do, and I struggle with it. And so it's easy to look at change that doesn't really matter. There's some change you have to say, does this really matter, this change that I want, this change that I'm seeking? Because we need an eternal change, one that, that, that lasts. You know what change does? Change is our, or that e- word eternity is our vision. That's what we want. But you know what happens? Our vision is helps to drive our values. You say, what do you mean our vision helps to drive our values? You see, David knew exactly what to do, when to do it. Why? Because he was focused on the word eternity. Your vision clarifies your values. His value was eternity. Everything had to do with what was eternal. What was eternal is that there was a living God who he served and he wanted the world to know about him, especially his nation. His nation was being led by a leader who did not care for the things of God, evidenced by the fact that he was willing to offer the sacrifice, evidenced by the fact that the very, one of the last things that Saul did as king was to go into, to see the witch of Endor, not Star Wars, but Endor. And he went there and to see this witch and he sees the prophet Samuel come and he had turned to the dark arts. It's evidenced by that fact. So David is saying, we need to have a leader that puts everything through the filter of eternity. Everything I do needs to flow through that filter. That, Lord, the job that I work, how am I helping get people into the kingdom? Because this is eternal right here. Lord, these children that I'm raising, Lord, I just want them to do what I want. But wait a minute, Lord. They are arrows in the hand of a mighty man, and I want to send them into a generation that I won't see. So, Lord, help me to see and to practice and to live in light of eternity. That right now, these things you're suffering through don't make a whole lot of sense, but they will make sense in eternity. Understand this. If eternity did not exist, it would be foolish and stupid for David to fight Goliath. If eternity did not exist, it would be foolish and stupid for us to gather here. There are better things we could be doing on a Sunday morning if eternity did not exist. If eternity did not exist, you giving, serving, loving, living like a Christ follower is irrelevant if there is no eternity. Pack up, go home, live like an atheist. Because it's all about now. Unless you believe in eternity. But if you believe in eternity, that right there, that thought alone, that thought that honestly should boggle our mind, that eternity with God. Come on, you have children, some of you have raised children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. The time flies by. And you can think 50 years flew by. But can you wrap your mind around eternity? The fact that you're going to get to spend not just a few years with your favorite people, but you're going to get to spend eternity with them. 
And best yet, God says there's going to be food there. We're going to be celebrating there. It's going to be a non-stop party rejoicing and glorifying all that God has done with our favorite people. Why is it so difficult for us to tell others about eternity when it's so wonderful? You see, David, he got it. I told you there's more to 1 Samuel than just David killed the giant. There's so much more. So the question is, is my ideals God ideals? To do this, I need you to see something. Verse 28, Eliab comes to David. And Eliab tells David, hey, I know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart. And all of a sudden, Eliab begins to hurl these insults at David. I want you to see that David would not be taken down by the insults or insecurity. You see, when everything is filtered through that lens of eternity, when somebody comes to you with an insult, understand that it can't get you down because you're living for something bigger. I love the way David handled the situation because oftentimes there is going to be times when people will come and they will have opinions and they will have objections, but we can always honor God in our response to them. Eliab had an opinion. Eliab had an objection. But David still honored God in his response. Is there not a cause? I've got a cause, Eliab. Eliab, I'm not the problem. In this passage, there is one great problem. That problem is Goliath. And who had lost sight of that? Eliab. Because the Bible says his anger was kindled against David. Out of all the people that Eliab should have been angry at, it should have been Goliath. That Goliath was blaspheming God, punishable by death. Don't blaspheme the Lord your God. Don't take his name in vain. This is the Ten Commandments. Every Jewish boy knew this. They had it memorized. But here they're listening to this day after day. I don't know about you, but um, growing up, even if somebody were to say something like, oh my gosh, on TV, we weren't allowed to say it. Any of you, you grew up like that, you weren't allowed to say it? None of you. Okay, just me. I'm a loser. Okay, there's two. There's two of us. I love you. You're excellent. All right, there's two of us. You say, why weren't you allowed to say it? Because we weren't allowed to say anything that could possibly lend to taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, understand this. Oh my gosh, it's not, it's not it. We take the Lord's name in vain when we don't live like he exists. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. When we don't live like he exists. And here was an army. They didn't understand that Yahweh Sabaoth is with them. The God of angel armies. He's not just a God. He's not just like Baal. He's not just like Astroth. No, it's, it's, it's Yahweh. It's the greatest, purest name for God. Yahweh, Sabaoth, is with us, the God of angel armies. So David said, that's where my security is. So I'm not going to be insecure about what I've been called to do. I am secure in the fact that God has called me to this. So it doesn't matter the offense. It doesn't matter the objection. Because I am secure in what God has called me to do. See, David, he learned to accept what he was not, and he worked with what he got. Can you accept what you're not and work with what you've got? Oftentimes, our ideal change focuses on what we're not and not on what we've got. Have you noticed that? I don't have that car. I don't have that house. I don't have that talent. I don't have that ability. The greatest source of change is what you think of first. The power to change lies in what you think of first. You say, no, that's just semantics. You say, well, I really suffer with depression. 
Okay. So are you a depressed Christian? You say, well, yeah. Well, you're phrasing it wrong. You're phrasing it wrong. You say, what do you mean? No, I am a Christian that may suffer from depression. It's Christ first. Why? Because Christ first in me. He allows me to change. He allows me to become something new. It's him that's working. He's the hope of glory. He's the one that's making change possible. So I'm not, I'm not insecure. I'm not insulted because I know what Christ is doing in me and through me so that I can see this word eternity everywhere. That's my filter. Amen.